Um, in case it's uh, your first time ever or your first time in a long time, uh, we've been going through a series for, this, for the last several weeks titled, Not the Same. The, the purpose behind the series has everything to do with different encounters that Jesus had in the Gospels and how everyone who encountered Jesus left not the same. And so we're going to continue in that as we encounter a guy in Mark chapter 5 who definitely left not the same. Now, as you're flipping there, I want to ask you a question. Is anyone in the room weird like me in this sense? You may be weird like me in other senses, but in this sense, uh, and you would admit it, how many of you would raise your hand and say, I like scary movies? Is there anybody out there that's weird like me and is like, hey, the scarier, like the better, right? And those of you who are looking around, you're like, those people are the weirdest people uh, that I ever encounter on a daily basis. Listen, I'm a huge fan of scary movies. Now, I haven't watched very many scary movies since I've been married because my wife hates them. And then I've watched even less scary movies since I've had children because obviously they hate them. But I remember growing up watching all kinds of different scary movies and then in college inviting buddies over and, you know, like, you know, little scared wimps, we would huddle up and watch these scary movies. And people would always ask me things like, why do you torture yourself by watching scary movies? Like what joy can come from being scared all the time? And so I was thinking about that. I was like, why do I think or what are some reasons that I think that I like scary movies? And I came up with a couple of them. Uh, obviously, Halloween's coming up, so this is why uh, this conversation is relevant, by the way. A uh, couple reasons I wrote down for just, just for me. One is suspense. Like, I love just being on the edge of my seat or hiding behind a wall or a blanket all the way up to my nose, right, or making noises in my brain because I know something loud's about to happen, so if I can drown it out by making noises in my own head, then maybe it won't scare me as much when it happens, right? Like, I just love the intensity of suspense and not knowing what's going to happen next and honestly just being surprised. Like, I am one of those people who actually enjoy that. As a matter of fact, I hadn't been serving here very long, and and uh, Megan, when she was our receptionist when I first got here, there was a day that Corey and I were up by the youth room and we were doing something. As a matter of fact, I think my daughter was with us and Megan hid around a corner. Actually, she was in a Sunday school class, I believe. And Janelyn said something. My daughter, she goes, hey, I think somebody's there. Corey and I didn't even process it. Like I knew she said something, but I didn't hear it. And listen, Megan come around that corner and I'm telling you, I could not breathe fast enough again. Like it was absolutely uh, terrifying. Like, I like the thrill of suspense. I think I like scary movies, too, because of how crazy the storylines can be. Those of you out there who are fans of, of, of scary movies, it's not just the fact that you get terrified over something and you kind of like that adrenaline and that suspense, but typically scary movies have some of the weirdest storylines. And when I say weird, what I really mean is plot twists. Like, they're going to lead you on about something. Now, there are those dumb ones out there, I'm with you, right, where like, all right, we know what's going to happen. This is always the same. Here they are again at a, you know, choosing something that they shouldn't be choosing. And now they're going to a place they shouldn't go. And everybody in the room's thinking, why would you go in there? Don't go in there. What are you thinking about? Right? Like there are those that we all know what's going to happen next. But then there are those that like lead you the whole way. And then it's like plot twist. And it's like, oh, they're not their parents. Right? Like there's something scary uh, like that that happens. And so for me, I like those crazy uh, storylines. I like that most scary movies have a happy outcome. 
Now, you may not agree with that, but here's the thing. They may be terrifying the whole way through and super dark, right? And then you get to the end and there's daylight outside and everybody's okay and they, you know, get cleaned up and they go on about their lives, right? Like typically there is victory in the end. Scary movies, at least that I'm a fan of, do have a happy outcome. I am a fan of good winning over evil. Now, I think most of us, if we're honest, or if we're normal, I think we like to know that no matter how dark and how evil something can be, good can always win. I think that we like knowing darkness can never overcome the light, that light will always be stronger. And I think this has been enhanced in my relationship with Jesus. As a matter of fact, I think this is why Jesus is so important for a dark world that we live in today. No matter how dark and how evil something can be, Jesus can always win. As a matter of fact, as I was thinking about the text from Mark chapter 5, I wrote this statement down. There are no amount of demons that Jesus cannot conquer. There are no amount of demons, I put that in quotes in my notes, by the way. I don't know what your demons look like compared to my demons, compared to these literal demons that we're about to read about. But here's what I know, regardless of what that is, you fill in the blank, there are no amount of demons that Jesus cannot conquer. And as a matter of fact, you don't have to just take my word for it. We experience this in Mark chapter 5 as we encounter a guy who literally is possessed by demons. Now, I thought this was appropriate for a couple of reasons. Number one, Halloween is tomorrow. So why not talk about something a little scary? You say, Danny, what scary movie could I watch tonight? You don't have to watch a scary movie. Just read the Bible. There's scary things in there. All right. Mark chapter five is an example of that. However, the greater reason why I think this is such an important encounter is because I think the progression that this guy goes through is the same progression that all of us go through in our relationship with Jesus as well. Now, you may be thinking, Danny, I've never been possessed by a demon. Where are you going here? Well, stay with me. I want us to travel through this encounter. Mark chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1, and I want to show you a couple of things that I was reminded of, a couple of things that I noticed in his progression that are the same as my progression and my walk with Jesus that are the same in your life and your walk and your journey and your progression with Jesus as well. Now, before we start reading, I want to show you the first thing that I noticed. Here it is, how he was defeated. This guy could not be described in these first few verses better than the word defeated. Look at verse 1 with me, Mark chapter 5. Let's go on this journey together this morning. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Now, this is Jesus and his disciples. They are crossing over the Sea of Galilee, and they are approaching to the other side, which is known as the country of the Gerasenes. Now, there's not a whole lot of specifics about where exactly Jesus was located, but we do learn later that this area is known as the Decapolis, which really is just another word for ten cities. He's in a region that's made up of 10 cities, and apparently he is at the closest, what most people think is Gadara, 
He is at the closest part of that region that is to the Sea of Galilee. Now, what's interesting about this as we continue on is that the Gerasenes is another Gentile-type uh, area. These cities uh, were populated mostly by Gentile people. And it's always fascinating to me when Jesus goes to the Gentiles because they're not the kind of people that we always assume. They're not the kind of people that are like us. They're not the kind of people that we typically associate with. They're not the kind of people that we typically think are going to be our best friends. Those are the people who live on the other side of the tracks. They're from a different uh, part of life than you are. They're from a, a, a different culture uh, than you are. And Jesus goes once again, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, to a Gentile area to find someone who is extremely broken. And this connects so much with my story because here's what I know. I was one of those people who were from across the street, and I was one of those people that Jesus came to. When I wasn't looking for him, he came to me, and he brought me out of my darkness like he's about to do for this guy that we find. Now, what's fascinating also to me is that as they've approached the country of the Gerasenes, this is right after Jesus had calmed a storm as they were crossing over the sea of Galilee. And so Jesus has calmed the storm. They are in the middle of the night. They've made it to the other side, and they are in the country of the Gerasenes. Now, this account's also found in, Mar in Matthew and Luke as well. But look at verse 2. Let's keep going. I'm getting distracted. I apologize. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So here's the beginning of the defeat that we see in this particular guy. It's seen, first of all, by his situation, an unclean spirit. Literally, as soon as Jesus steps out of the boat, a demon-possessed man meets him. Now, Matthew mentions multiple demon-possessed men, but Mark and Luke only highlight, they focus on the one man that we encounter in this text. Now, regardless of whether there's many of them or there's one of them, I want you to take note of the perfect scary movie scene that's happening as we read in Mark chapter 5. As a matter of fact, if I was to give this a title of my own, I would call it From Among the Tombs, starring demon-possessed man, whatever his name might be, right? So Jesus, his disciples, they step out of the boat. I don't know how close he is to them, but immediately there's this crazy, satanic, demon-possessed man. Now, I want to build the scene a little bit better for you because it's probably at this time still a little dark outside. Jesus calms the storm in the middle of the night in Mark chapter 4, and then they are across the, the sea, entering the region of the Gerasenes. So in my mind, at best case scenario, this is early in the morning, and so it is still dark outside. So listen, you roll up on the other side of the sea, you realize you're getting out of the boat in a graveyard in the middle of the night. That's a little creepy all in itself, right? As a matter of fact, if you're a Jew, you don't want to be around any uh, 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 cemeteries or anything like that because to be around a dead body is one of the greatest ceremonial defilements that you could have. So here's this group of Jews in the middle of the night, crossing over the sea, stepping out of their boat. It's pitch black outside, and they see this graveyard, and they're thinking, this is creepy. And then as soon as Jesus puts a foot out, a demon-possessed man pops up out of nowhere. Now listen, Megan was really scary to me that day she popped out of the corner when we were upstairs by the youth room. But had it been a demon-possessed man, I would still be terrified up there by the youth room. It's dark. 
They're in the middle of a graveyard. They've encountered a demon-possessed man. I don't know about you, but this sounds pretty scary to me. This is the type of defeat, by the way, that is this man's life as seen by his situation. But not just that. I want you to see as seen by his surroundings. Look at verse 3. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Now, here's what we discover. The tombs are creepy enough. It's dark outside. A demon-possessed man is walking around through the cemetery. But here's what we discover about his surroundings that's much more important to me. He's not just walking among the tombs. He actually lives here. I instantly, when I was reading this text, pictured the guy from the original Hocus Pocus movie. I don't know how many of you have seen that movie. Not the new one, I haven't watched it, but the old one. In the old movie, there's a guy that the witches, I know that's a little, while we're talking about witches right now, I apologize, but the witches bring up from the dead. Does anybody remember his name? Billy what? Billy Butcherson, by the way. I didn't know that, I had to look it up. I wish I had a picture, but I didn't know how many kids would be in here this morning. I didn't want to scare anybody, so I didn't get one. But that's what I'm picturing. For those of you who've seen that movie, I'm picturing Billy Butcherson coming up out of the grave, encountering Jesus and these guys as he lives among the tombs. Now, what's interesting also is the description that he couldn't be restrained, not even with chains. So the dude is possessed by a demon. He is crazy strong, and he has obviously been terrorizing the village, this is why they have chained him up in a graveyard. In fact, in Matthew's account of this story, he mentions that the man is so violent that no one could even pass through this area anymore. They were terrified of what he would do to them. Look at verse 4, though, because his surroundings get even worse. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. So listen, here's what I took from this verse. People obviously had tried to lock him up because he's crazy, he's violent, he's harmful to himself and others. But Mark notes that he had been often bound, right? Giving us a better picture of how many times people had tried to contain this man. However, look at this. He would snap the chains. He would smash the shackles. No one could hold him down. No one could restrain him because he was too strong. Now, I will be honest with you. I'm not an expert on demon possession, although I know the movies that I've seen about it are pretty scary. But bigger than that, I do know that demon possession is more than just a Hollywood trick to scare people. It's real, and the devil has many tools to lead people down a road where a demon can both possess or oppress people's lives. Listen, we've seen this in all kinds of things in our own world, whether it's the occult, whether it's witchcraft, whether it's drugs, whether it's false idol worship, whether it's flagrant immorality. All these types of things give rights to demons and, in fact, invites demonic powers to gain control of your life. Now, picture the defeat on this man. 
his situation, not very good, right? Walking among the tombs, his surroundings, he lives there. This is his home. The closest thing that he has to interaction with people are the tombs that he looks at every day as they chain him over and over and over to try to bind him to this area. But I'm going to show you one more thing about his defeat that's interesting to me. It's seen by his suffering. Look at verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was also crying out and cutting himself with stones. So listen, just in case you're not convinced about the condition of this guy, his life amounts to wandering around burial caves, constantly howling, screaming, crying, and using sharp stones to cut himself, probably to try to rid himself of the demons that live inside of him. I don't know what kind of day you're having right now, <laughs> but I guarantee it's not quite as bad as this guy's life. This guy is so defeated that he's resorted to cutting himself and screaming as he lives out his days in a graveyard. Listen, there are no medical drugs that can set this dude free. There are no psychologist that can rid his mind of the confusion. There's no amount of counseling that will help this dude see anything better than his condition. This is beyond what human help can offer. He is hopeless. Now you say, Danny, why does this kind of defeat remind you of your own? Because this is exactly what my life was like before I knew Jesus. I lived a life in utter defeat. You say, how? I was in a desperate situation in my sin that nobody else could fix. I was surrounded by evil that I didn't even know was tearing my life apart, and I was suffering at the hands of sin day after day after day after day. If I could describe my life before I knew Jesus, it would be like this. I am defeated. It's exactly where we find this guy. Let me show you, though, I was noticed something else, not just how he is defeated, but I noticed how he is delivered. I love this next part. This is where the story gets good. Look at verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, listen, I want to pause for a second because here's what I know. I know there are people in this room right now who are living a defeated life. Now, I'm not just talking about you're down on your luck. I'm talking about you're dead in your sin. That is the life that you live. You are defeated just like this guy. You may not be possessed by a demon, but I guarantee Satan's got some strongholds in your life that you cannot break on your own, and it only gets worse as every day goes by. You are just like this guy, defeated, without hope, in need of Jesus. And here's what I want to tell you. Just like this guy, every person who has ever lived, who ever will live, every person on the face of this planet, every person in in this room right now this morning doesn't have to live defeated. Why? Because Jesus can deliver you from the sin that you live in every single day. Can I tell you something? You don't have to remain chained down. Can I tell you something? You don't have to remain in the graveyard walking among the tombs. Can I tell you something? You don't have to keep living a dead life. You don't have to be defeated. You can be delivered. You say, Danny, how? And when he saw Jesus from afar, watch this, he ran and fell down before him. Now picture this scene. You say, Danny, how could this be me? Just think about this. A man with wounds and scars from self-inflicted hurt by cutting himself with sharp stones, a guy 
guy who, as Luke's account informs us, is not just poorly clothed, but he is both homeless and he is both naked. He's so strong and violent that no chains or shackles can hold him, and no one would even dare pass through that area. Again, picture the craziness that must be this man, however you have to. Now, imagine this raving lunatic as he sees Jesus from afar, he falls down before him. Now, you may not know this, but the phrase fall down in the Greek, it has a much more literal translation. You want to know what word it is? Worship. You say, Danny, what do you mean? When we find this guy in verse number six of Mark chapter five, don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this. His deliverance begins with how he worshiped. Listen, before he could be delivered by Jesus, he had to bow before Jesus. He had to fall at the feet of the only one who could change his situation. He had to come broken before Jesus, bowing at his feet. When people encounter Jesus, they leave that moment not the same. Watch this. I love this moment. The demons in that man do what every person will one day do. As we read in Philippians chapter 2, listen to this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what happens in this moment. You say, Danny, how, do I, how, how can I be delivered? Can I tell you something? It begins with you falling at the feet of Jesus. It begins with how you worship. You may be in here this morning. You say, Danny, I'm defeated. That's me. That is my life. I need something different. You know what you need, friends? You need Jesus, and you can have him just as much as this demon-possessed man could have him. Jesus offers you something better. He can, in fact, deliver you. Don't miss how he worshiped. Let me show you this, too, though. Don't miss how he warred. I like like this moment right here. This is, this is an intense battle that we see happening in the next few verses. Don't miss how he warred. Watch this. Verse 7. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, talking about Jesus, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now, can I show you something? Because I don't want you to miss it. The sin and evil in your life may not leave in a single moment. Hey, can I tell you that again? Because I don't know if you missed it. Those of you in the room this morning living a defeated life, those of you in this room this morning that have been delivered by Jesus, but you still struggle, listen to me. Can I, can I just point something out to you? Watch this. The sin and evil in your life may not leave in a single moment. This guy is bowed down in worship to Jesus. The demons did not flee the moment that he bowed down. You know what happened? They began to struggle back and forth with Jesus. They began to have say what they wanted to to say, do what they wanted to do, attempt every way that they could to remain where they were. Why? They didn't want to leave. Can I tell you something, friends? There are some deep strongholds in your life that just because you bow before Jesus, that's step number one. But can I show you something? You got to continue to war against those things for the rest of your days. This is exactly what happens. Don't miss how he warred. The demons in this man finally speak because they're in the presence of one greater than themselves. Think about it like this. They could terrorize the people in this town and definitely the man that we're reading about in Mark chapter 5 because they were stronger than everybody else. But now they face one that they can't compete with. 
The ones that were stronger than everyone else and causing others to fear are now the ones that are scared. Picture it like this. Your greatest fears are terrified by the power of Jesus. The greatest strongholds that the devil has in your life, they're scared of Jesus. The greatest link that the devil has to keep you from following God, it's terrified of Jesus. You know what the devil's scared of? He's scared that people in South Tillo, Mississippi are going to get serious about Jesus and fall down before him and begin fighting back and seeing Jesus change the world. That's what he's terrified of. Man, what would happen? If we decided to war back and say, you know what, I got one in me that is greater than any other force in this world, what am I waiting for? Listen, they're crying out with a loud voice. I thought to myself, if anyone might could demonstrate that for us. All right, I just thought I would try. I don't know what all these demons might sound like when they're crying out with a loud voice, but I thought it'd be interesting if someone tried to show us. Nonetheless, Why are they screaming? Why are they crying out? Because they know that when Jesus commands them to do something, they don't have the power to disobey him. What a savior. I've often thought, how does this dude know who Jesus is? He's in a completely other area, probably Gentile based. They don't care anything about the Jewish God or the Messiah that is to come. But then I remember what the Bible teaches us about the relationship between demons and Jesus. Here's how James put it in chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder, right? They're scared, they're shaking, they're terrified. The demons shudder because they know Jesus has the power to control them. As they would say in their own words to Jesus, have you come here to torture us? They will one day be judged by Jesus and forever cast into an eternity of torment in the lake of fire. They obviously think Jesus may send them there now. How awesome. How awesome is it to know that Jesus has the power over any obstacle trying to control your life? You say, Danny, what do you mean? The wind obey him. The waves obey him. Even wickedness obeys him. There's no obstacle you're facing that Jesus can't handle. So watch, the war continues. Watch this. Look at verse 9. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, many of you probably know this, but a legion could be as many as 6,000 men in the Roman army. There were thousands, at least, of demons in this guy. Some scholars believe this guy was a case of a severe split personality. You ever met somebody who had 6,000 personalities? That would be what I would categorize as a severe case of split personalities. One scholar wrote this when I was reading this verse. I thought it was both interesting and creepy. Here's what he wrote. He said, I believe the man answered when Jesus said, what's your name? The man answered legion. And then he said, behind him was a chorus of uh, of voices as the demons answered, for we are many. Can you imagine that scene? Hey, what's your name? Legion. And then all the, for we are many terrifying, right? So watch this. The war continues. Look at verse 10. 
and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. So here it is again, right? This man, those demons, whoever it is that's communicating right now, please, whatever you do, don't send us out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And so they begin begging. This is the warring that keeps happening, by the way. They don't want to leave. How many of you have made some compromises like this in your life? You've got some things that you know don't need to be there. Jesus wants to deliver you from the sin that's holding you back, but you keep finding little corners to keep it in, right? Well, Jesus, what if I just put it back here? Or what if I just watch it a little less? Or what if I just don't think about it as much? Or what if I only visit a few times? Or what if I only go there every now and then? And we just keep thinking, hey, if I put it in the back, if I throw it to the pigs, it's not in me anymore. At least it's out there. And we just keep wondering, how close can we keep it to us? Where can we put it so that it can continue to survive? That's what's happening here. They don't want to leave. The sin doesn't want to go away. As a matter of fact, when they're begging Jesus not to send them away, Luke gives the, the, the word of where they don't want to be. In, in, in Mark's account, they don't want to leave the country. In Luke's account, they don't want to go to the abyss. You know what he's talking about? This is the torment that they were talking about. They don't want to be sent to the lake of fire. Send us anywhere else, Jesus. Put us anywhere else. We don't want to be there. Now listen, I don't know if it's this guy speaking. I don't know if it's the demon speaking. I don't know what's exactly happening here, but here's what I know. They know that punishment is in store for them, and they don't want that punishment to happen now. So what do they say? They say, can't we just go into that herd of pigs? Why in the world would they want to go into a herd of pigs? Well, perhaps they thought that the Lord had changed his timetable for judgment, and otherwise they would be thrown into the great abyss. And so obviously inhabiting pigs would be a little bit better than that, right? Also, I wonder, since the pigs were the most unclean of all the unclean animals to the Jews, perhaps the demons thought that Jesus wouldn't care if they inhabited those swine. Or, listen, maybe they knew that by inhabiting them, the pigs would be destroyed and the owners of the pigs would turn in that area against Jesus, possibly even killing Jesus for killing the pigs, and they would have a little bit more time to continue to do what they wanted to do. Listen, whatever the reason for the demon's request, it was predicated on the clear understanding that Jesus wouldn't allow them to remain in this man. Can I tell you something, friends? Listen to me. Jesus can deliver you. He will not let it remain if you are are seeking after him. Now, don't miss this last thing. Don't miss how he worshiped. Don't miss how he warred. But listen, don't miss how he won either. Look at verse 13. It, it does come to a conclusion for this guy. So he gave them permission. I love that phrase, by the way. Here is this legion of demonic forces that no people can contain, that this poor guy can't live his life in any other way. He is tortured by these guys. Nobody can do anything, but when Jesus steps in, they have to ask him for permission for what they can do. Isn't that incredible when we think about Jesus? 2,000 Pigs with a legion of demons, 6,000 demons would mean there was an average of three demons in each of those pigs, unless my math is wrong. Listen, we can't win the battle against the devil and sin on our own. We need someone to deliver us from our situation, and his name is Jesus. He is the one who brings victory. I don't know about you, but I've read the end of the story, and guess what? You guessed it, Jesus wins. I want to note something, though, before we move on. We, we need to finish, but I want to note this. 
The pigs, by the way, are so disgusted by the demons that they would rather die than live with them. You notice this? As soon as the demons enter the pigs, the pigs do what each of us should do when evil comes our way. They just try to get away. They do whatever they can to get away from the evil that's happening, and they run off of a cliff, and they die. And you say, Danny, that's kind of weird. I agree. Here's what I noticed. The pig would rather die than live with the legion of demons. Now watch this. Isn't it interesting that people would live with an unclean spirit, even 6,000 of them, but a pig, considered to be the most unclean of all the animals to a Jew, would rather die than have them. Isn't it amazing the types of unclean stuff that we will allow in our lives, but the pigs wouldn't even have a second with them? I thought to myself, I wrote this question, what unclean stuff do I allow in my life? Hey, I don't know about you, friends, but this has been my progression. I also was defeated until Jesus delivered me from my sin. But I want to show you something else because I noticed this too. Here's the third thing. Let me go fast. Not only how he is defeated, not only how he is delivered, but also how he is different. Look at verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. You know what I think here? What had happened was, right, like they're trying to come up with this. Here's these guys. They're, they're going out. They're saying, man, you will never believe what's happened. All those pigs that we had, yeah, you know, all, the, all, of, our, all of our livelihood, you know, that herd that we had. Listen, here's what happened. This guy had came, and he cast these demons out, and it was this crazy scene, that guy that we're all terrified of. You'll never believe this. It went into the pigs, and then, and then the pig, you just got to come right? Like you got to, I can't even explain to you what has happened. You've got to come and see what's going on. So listen, they go to the city and to the country. You know what this makes me think of? For days, they've been telling people, they've been going to the Decapolis. They've been going to all these 10 cities of their own people in their region, telling them what's happened. So they've got to be gone for days. Well, you know what's happening while they're gone for days? This guy who's been delivered by Jesus is sitting at his feet, soaking up everything he possibly can. Why? Because when we get delivered by Jesus, we are different. I want you to see this. Look at verse 15. So they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid, right? There it is. There's the difference. This guy they used to chain down, this guy they were scared to even walk across the street anymore because he was so terrifying. He was so crazy. He was such a lunatic. Now he's sitting there perfectly normal, fully clothed, just hanging out with Jesus. Look what happens. Verse 16, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pig. So here's what I imagine. They're trying to describe this in the 10 cities. They can't fully get it out because there's no way that they could really help them understand. It's like when you tell that joke or, or, or talk about that thing that happened a couple of days ago and nobody laughs about it, and then you make this statement, I guess you had to be there. Well, in this moment, I really do think they go, you know what? You just got to be there. Come on. Come with me. Let, me. let me show you what happened. They see this guy, and they begin to describe it again. They're like, hey, remember what I said? This guy steps out of a boat, that demon-possessed man. He's, you, here it is. Look at it. All the pigs, right, dead. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Can you imagine? Days have went by. This guy's sitting at the feet of Jesus, 
Dead carcasses, by the way, of pigs that I don't know what they're like after this point in time. 2,000 of them. Had to be a mess. Crazy man sitting at the feet of Jesus. And they begin to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Why? Why, when they see this guy so different, so changed, why, when they see something as great as this, as this man being freed, why would they want Jesus to leave? And here's what happens. This is, by the way, the human heart. Faced on one hand with the Lord of glory and the testimony of a transformed life, and on the other hand with the challenge to their own lives and the loss of pigs, this was their verdict. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Why afraid? Why fear? Here's what I come to. Perhaps the transformation in the former demoniac's life made them think of their own need for the same type of cleansing. I don't know if you remember this from Isaiah chapter 6, but he did the same thing. Listen to this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Or maybe it was like Peter in Luke chapter 5 verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man O Lord. Or maybe it was just what happened in Mark chapter 4 just previous to these verses, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I thought to myself, When unholy men come face to face with the holy God, they are terrified. Every person who realizes the power of Jesus and who he is as Lord falls before him in terrified worship. Here's what I discovered. People have two ways to respond to God, to Jesus, when he is afar and they notice who he is. They can either, like this man, possessed by all these demons, fall down at his feet and worship him, or they can flee from his presence. Presence, they can reject him. They could say, depart from me. I don't want this change. And here's what I realized. Listen to me. This is my story. I was defeated in my sin, delivered by a Savior, and have been made different because of his power and work in me. And here's what I realize. Not everybody wants to be different. Not everybody wants what Jesus has to offer. Some people respond differently. Some people, listen, they didn't care if he was the Messiah or if his works were good. They simply wanted to be left alone and not bothered by the things of Jesus. They just wanted him to depart. I thought to myself, does the change in me bring conviction like that to others? 
It was obvious that when they got there and they saw that this man's life was different, when people discovered that this guy had met Jesus and that it had changed him, they had to make a decision in that moment. Will I too surrender to this guy or will I reject it and move on with my life? I wonder, does my life have that kind of impact on the world? Am I that kind of different that when people encounter me, they encounter Jesus? Let me show you this last one. This last thing I noticed. There's a lot of things about this guy that are similar to my own encounters with Jesus, right? I noticed how he is defeated by sin. I noticed how he's delivered by Jesus. I noticed how he is different. And finally, this is the last one. I noticed how he is deployed. I love this moment. It's so beautiful. As he was getting into the boat, this is verse 18, Jesus, right? He's about to leave. He's getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. I love that moment, right? I just want more. He said at least, I don't know how many days, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Obviously, his life is different. Obviously, he's been changed. He was defeated now, delivered. Now he's different. And now Jesus is about to tell him, listen, don't come with me. I've got a greater mission for you. He's about to deploy him. He's begging him that he might be with him. And here's what happened. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, right? That's their region, how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. And I thought to myself, this is friends, my story. I will never forget what my life was like before I knew Jesus. I will never forget how defeated I was, not knowing where I could turn, continuing in a circular motion to do whatever the devil decided he wanted me to do. I was a child living after wrath. I was a child of Satan. I did whatever he wanted me to do. I didn't care a thing about God or about Jesus. I just wanted what was best for me. I was defeated. And I'll never forget that day when I was 13 years old. I was in a little room, a little Sunday school room in a church. And it was as if Jesus himself stepped out of a boat into the graveyard that was my life. And it was as if he said, Danny, I got something better for you. I can deliver you from all this defeat. Now, I'll be honest with you, friends. I only knew one response, and it was to fall down at the feet of Jesus in worship. That's all I knew. As a matter of fact, I remember grabbing my coach, Coach Stanley. I remember grabbing him. I said, hey, coach, I don't know what to do. All I really know is I need Jesus. I think that's exactly how this guy was. He didn't know what to do next. He didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know the power that was about to be unleashed in his life. Here's what he knew. He had been living defeated for so many years, he couldn't imagine anything else. But then Jesus stepped in. Golly, that was me. Can I tell you something? I don't care how bad it's been. I don't care how rough your life has, has been before now. I don't care how many demons you've been living with. I guarantee you, you got nothing on this guy. And listen, Jesus changed it all. Can I tell you something, friend? Stop waiting. Why not today fall on your face before Jesus and say, you know what? I want to be delivered from my sin too. I want a better way. I know there's something more. Can I tell you something? Jesus offers it to you, friend, today. And can I tell you something? My story was just like this guy. Years and years went by and Jesus began to work in my life, making me different. Didn't mean the demons went away, by the way. The warring still happened. I still had a fight to do. But listen, Jesus won when he delivered me. 
but I keep fighting. I keep pushing. Why? Because Jesus is making me different every day. He loves me way too much to keep me where I was. He wants to offer me not life in heaven one day. He wants to offer me life right here, right now. Can I tell you something? Eternal life doesn't start the moment that you stop breathing here. It started on that day when you gave up your life for Jesus. Let me ask you something, friends. How different are you because of that? You becoming more like Jesus? Is he making you more like him? You still got some battles going on every day? Good. Okay, tell you something. If the devil's not battling you, then you know what? You're not a threat to him. So if you got some battles in this room, guess what? Keep fighting on. Why? Because Jesus has already won. The person in you is greater than anything else that comes at you. You just keep letting him make you different every day. Can I just share? I don't know how you need to respond this morning. It's just me right now, but listen. You may have missed this in the segment of the gospel, but Jesus came to you not to stop with you. He came to you so that he could go through you. Can I tell you something? You have been deployed for a greater mission than you could ever imagine. When people encounter you, do they encounter Jesus? Are you going back to your family and your friends proclaiming what God has done in you? This guy wanted to go with Jesus. He said, no, don't go with me. Go to your friends and family and tell them. And listen, that's exactly what he did. You know what people did? They marveled. You mean, I, I remember how crazy you were. I remember the lunatic that you were. I remember all those shades. I came one time and put some shades on you because nobody else would do it. Who are you? Hey, let me tell you who I am. I'm an old defeated sinner that's been delivered and different because of Jesus. And now I'm here deployed on his mission to tell you that your life can be different too. I wonder how many of you are like me in this room. You got some old buddies that listen, if you were to meet them right now today and tell them where you are in life, they would laugh for a few minutes. They go, no, not, not Eric Reynolds. No, I know that. I remember that guy when he was a kid. You tell you do what you a deacon? No, you not, right? Jerry Duffy? No, I remember old little Jerry. Ain't no way that guy's darkening the doors of a church. I wonder how many people would encounter you. And because of what Jesus has done, they're not going to marvel at you. No, no, that's not the point. Can I tell you something, by the way? When they came up to that demonic man, you notice something? They didn't care about the pigs. They didn't care about the man. You know who they came to? They came to Jesus. Can I tell you something? When people marvel at your life, they're not marveling at you. You are just a masterpiece that's displaying the glory of God. Hey, is that how you live your life, friend? Because you've been deployed to change the world. Are you doing it? Listen, I don't know how you need to respond this morning. I know that I've preached way too long, so I'm going to stop. But here, listen to this. When God's word is preached, it demands a response from us. Does that mean you need to give your life to Jesus today? Defeated life can be over right now, delivered by Jesus. Does it mean you realize that some things in your life shouldn't be there? You got some unclean things in you that you're living with that pigs, by the way, wouldn't even want to live with. Can I tell you something? Jesus wants to make you different, friend. Maybe you need to fall on your face, tell him you're sorry, ask for forgiveness, and move on. Can I ask you this? Who's in your life that Jesus has been begging you, deployed you to share him with, and you just keep refusing? Uh-uh. Ain't going to do it. No way. That's for so-and-so to do. Oh, that's for Danny to go do. I, you know what? Let me text Danny. I'll send him the address. He can go do that. No, friends, listen. Jesus has deployed you to do it. Hey, I don't know how he's challenging you this morning, but can I tell you this? I'm going to be right back there in that lobby. 
If you need to pray, you can come find me. You need to give your life to Jesus. I'd love to open up my Bible and tell you how you can do it. You've been defeated. Hey, let's pray together for a few minutes. Let's see what Jesus has to offer. Hey, I don't know what you need to do, but I know that he wants you to respond to him today. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. Thank you. Praise you. You are awesome. Jesus, thank you so much.